0: Aren't you glad God's watching over us every day? Come on, somebody give the shout to Jesus. Wow, it's an amazing, amazing moment to be here with you today in Wrightsville. Thank you, Pastor Aaron. We love you and Day. It is such an honor to be here for real. And uh, we just love how God is just birthing such an awesome work here in Wrightsville. This is an exciting church. This really is. This is an exciting church. God's work is just going on and on. And Pastor Chris, we love you and Brittany. We've prayed for Brittany, and what a miracle she is today. How about it? Aren't you grateful for the miracle God's done in Brittany's life? But thank you for your love for God and your love for students. I know both of you love students so much, and we love our students here. We really do. It's an amazing, amazing church. Absolutely love you, students. In the first service, there were a bunch of students that had uh, my face on their T-shirts, and you know, you know, honestly, that's a creepy thing. You know? <laughs> and uh, but it really did. It, they just, you know, we love them, and uh, they have honored us greatly. They gave us a poster after the first service, and uh, you know, we've got it out there. And there's a picture on there, and it was a picture they had made up at, at, uh, for youth convention, and uh, our our children, uh, uh, Jacqueline and Chancellor, they are in Miami, Florida, planning a new church. And they had on their shirts one day, and they're wearing it, and they're getting all these Latinos that are just giving them the hairy eye. You know, just what are you doing? What do you? What is this here? You know, who's this person on you? When finally someone went and asked them, and they said, "Who is that on your shirt?" and they said, "Oh, it's my dad." And they said, "It looks like Hugo Chavez." And uh, yeah. <laughs> We don't like that. <laughs> yeah. It's the last time they wore the shirt in Miami. I think it's a wise-eyes move. But what an honor it is to be here today. Pastor Ian, thank you for the invitation to be here. Pastor's about to kick off in a phenomenal series today, and we're so excited about it because we're excited about the generational blessing that happens. Did you know there's blessing that is passed from one generation to another? Come on. Moms and dads, you've passed blessing on to your children. Grandma, grandpas, you've blessed it to your children and to your grandchildren. There's a generational blessing. We need each other. I said we need each other. Sometimes we don't feel like we're needed. Don't believe it. It's the devil. (laughs) The devil. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. God, God is an amazing, amazing moment. You know, we had such a blessing here. But there's a lot of interruptions that happen in life, aren't there? Interruptions. And, you know, most of us don't like interruptions. But interruptions are all through the Bible. I think of Adam and Eve. You know, it started clear back in the garden there. You know, Adam and Eve were there. They had the opportunity to name all the animals. They walked with God in the cool of the evening. It's a wonderful thing when God said, you know, don't touch this one tree. This one tree is the only thing I say you don't. Guys, aren't you glad it was the woman who did that? No, seriously. (laughs) You know... We have enough burdens that we carry and enough mistakes that we make on our own. We wouldn't need an eternity of our wives saying to us, "This is your fault. <laughs> you did this to me." <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's a guy thing. Yeah. Interruptions—they do happen. But yet, Adam and Eve—they became the father and the mother of of all creation here. You know. And then I move on on to uh, to Noah. Noah. What a he had an interruption in his day. The day that God said to him, "I want you to build an ark." Even though it had never rained, nothing ever happened. It was an interruption. You know, when he starts building this big old boat, the townspeople are asking, what are you doing? You know what? The ridicule didn't just last for a day, a month, or even a year. It was over a hundred years. This man had to endure abuse. You know, this is crazy. It was an interruption. It was an interruption. We move into the New Testament, and I think of Paul, you know, who was, first of all, Saul. Saul, who's persecuting the church. Why, he thinks he's doing a work for God. Have you ever thought you were doing a work for God when it finds out, hmm, maybe not so much? That was Saul. Saul was doing that when God struck him down one time with a light. He falls to his face before God. He blindless happens in his life. His name is changed from Saul to Paul. Now there's an interruption in forever. He's the one who brings the word of God to the Gentiles. Aren't you grateful for that? Aren't you grateful that the word of God has come to us? Amen. Amen. It's an interruption. You see, interruptions happen in life, but in interruptions also lead us to this next place, this next place of where God is saying. I want to move you into a new season. I want to move you into a new anointing. I want to new you, move you into a new blessing that I have for you. God is out to bless us. He wants to prosper us in all things. This is what happened for Susan and I. Susan and I, our interruption started with a question during our prayer time. During our prayer time, we were hearing this question, will you trust me? For two years of prayer, Pastor, we heard this question, will you trust me? I I quickly answered, yes, God, I'll trust you. Yes, God, I trust you. Yes. But let me tell you, after hearing it for two years, I was broken. Why would God keep asking me if I will trust him? I'm a little slow. I really am. Because what I didn't recognize was God wasn't looking for an answer. God was looking for an action, an action. You see, God's not a guy who just, who's out there just saying, you know, he's just all looking for lip service. Come on, church. He's not just looking for us to talk a lot. God wants us to actually step out. There's an action that happens. We talk about the ties in the offering here this morning. You want to open up the blessing of your life, man? Begin to tie. Begin to be obedient to God. Begin to let the blessing and the anointing of God begin to be releasing your spirit. There. By the way, that one's for free. Yeah, but it's it's anointing. It's a blessing that comes. Yeah, it's going to be an interruption to your day. Yes, it's going to be something new, perhaps in your life and ministry. But let me tell you, it'll open up the door's a blessing. The door's a blessing for your life. For Susan and I, that interruption leaned to something and led to something of an action. The action that we took of where we would trust you is where we said to God, Yes, God, we do trust you. And that's when we offered our resignation as your district youth directors after 29 years. Oh, did we not love the students and the leaders anymore? Are you kidding me? My gosh, I'm, I'm in mourning still, you know. It, it Watch me long enough and I'll bust into tears, you know. We love youth ministry. We love what God had called us to. We loved the students. We loved everything about it. But God had something else. There was something else that God had. And we moved into a season of our lives, Susan. and I, when we resigned, we moved into a season, a year that we called reckless obedience. Reckless obedience. where We were going to be obedient to God no matter what the circumstance. We're going to follow God. We're going to be reckless in this pursuit. I started talking about this reckless obedience, and Susan looked at me one day, and she says, You know what? I'm tired of this reckless obedience thing. She said, Here's the reality. She said, You're the reckless one, and I'm the obedient one. There's probably a lot of truth to that. There probably really is. But this led us to this reckless, obedient moment. You know, when we resigned, let me tell you what we resigned to do. Nothing. Nothing. We had nothing. We didn't know where we were going, what we were going to do. And you know, for 30 years, I had told youth pastors, don't leave your now till you know your next. Don't leave your now till you know your next. And God will show you your next. Just hang on. God's going to show you. You'll open up a door. It didn't work like that for me. I was on Genesis 12 moment, an Abraham moment. Pack up. I'm going to take you to a place. I'll show you where it's at. Just get packed up and start going. Action, action. That's what we did. And let me tell you, husbands, when you look at your wife and you say, pack up, we're leaving. The first thing she wants to know is what? Where are we going? And let me tell you guys, when we look at them and say, I don't know, they say, send me a postcard when you get there. (laughs) It's going to be great. Yeah, you'll love it. Yeah, I hope it's a warm place. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. we didn't know where we are going. But let me tell you, nothing, nothing's a great place to be when God's asking you a question, will you trust me? Nothing. Nothing's what we went to. Pastor, for six months, we didn't have a paycheck. We had nothing. And you know what? We never missed a bill. The faithfulness of God was absolutely amazing. That one's for free, too. You can trust God. You can trust God. You can trust God. We laid nothing. We had a happen chance. We had a meeting with us, the Assemblies of God World Missions had an opportunity to meet with a regional director of Latin American Caribbean, Dave Ellis, a wonderful man of God. And He asked me a question. He said, if you were to become an Assemblies of God missionary, what would you do? I said, I, this was the first time I ever heard this come out of my list. Pastor Chris, I said, if I had an opportunity, I said, I would catalyze youth ministries around the world. He looked at me and he goes, catalyze youth ministries around the world? Wow. You think big? <laughs> and I said, I always have. I said, because I serve a big God. I said, he's, he's the God of possibilities. Anything can happen here. He said, well, I want you to know that's never been done before. No one's ever attempted that. No one's ever brought youth ministries to the world before. And I said, perfect. You know why? Because I can't mess it up. It's perfect. It's the right assignment for me. This is awesome. We're going to get involved in this. And that's exactly what we stepped into. We recognized God in that moment was closing one door to open up another door. You see, when I looked in my back pocket for opportunity after I resigned, you know, I had always had opportunity. There was always a church that I could go to. There was always a place, you know, there were people, yeah, you know, yeah. But when I looked in my back pocket when I resigned, you know what I found? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing is where God brings you to when he wants to do something supernatural in your life. God wants to do, there's a generational blessing that's going to be passed from one generation to the other. There's a blessing that's coming your way. If you're willing to step into nothing, if you're willing to lay it all down and sacrifice it all, there's an anointing and a blessing that God's going to pour out over your life. We started this journey as the Savings of God World Missionaries, and let me tell you a little bit about that. We're excited about this, but let me tell you. I, I'm not that old missionary of old, you know, the guy that their their wood, you know, Pastor Chris, you're so good, you know, this, hey, I, it hasn't fallen down yet, this is great, you know what, I'm not the guy who could pack a really good coffin, you know, that's what missionaries of old did, they built a coffin out of wood, they filled it with their belongings, they shipped it to a country, you went with it, and then they stayed there until they died, they put you in the box, put you in the ground, and said, hallelujah, who's next, you know, that was not the calling of my life that susan and i we were not called to be missionaries we were called to people we were called to the lost we were called to those who need jesus and you know what they need jesus around the world And so we have signed up as Assemblies of God World Missionaries. An exciting moment to be able to do that. We've had the privilege of being in 19 countries. In those 19 countries, I've had the privilege of preaching. I've got the privilege of meeting with leaders. Around the world, and top leaders, general superintendents, district superintendents. But I noticed something in every one of those countries. In every one of those countries, there was ministry to children, there was ministry to college, all the way till they met Jesus. But there was one unreached people group in every one of these countries. That unreached people demographic was teenagers. There was no ministry to teenagers. No ministry to teenagers. And I was like, hey, why is there no ministry to these teenagers? And you know what? Almost every leader told me the same thing. Do you want to know what they said? Thank you for the couple of you who are curious. Here's what they said to me They said, no, we don't have ministry to teenagers. And I said, can you tell me why? Sure. It's because they're crazy. They do not listen. You tell them to go left, they go right. You tell them to go straight, they go backwards. You you know what? They're just crazy, you know? What we do is we wait until they get into college. They become more settled, and then we bring them the gospel. (sighs) Then their lives are wrecked. Their lives are ruined, many of them. Wow. You know what? wasn't good enough. wasn't enough for us. No, 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 no. You know, what we said is, what we've learned is this. The most fertile ground God has ever given his church is in the life of a teenager. It is fertile ground. You talk about the sow and the seer, the, the, the seed and the sower. Man, you plant a seed into a student, you just give it a little bit of water. You nurture it just a little bit. Let me tell you, it will explode in growth. Man, they will do great exploits for God. They will follow the call of God into ministry. They want to do big things with their life, not little things, not little changes. They don't want to do a little bit. They want to do incredible things with God in their corner. Teenagers is the most fertile ground. And you know what? I believe the church is now going to awaken to this truth, to this reality that within the heart of a teenager is, is, is ready to release an anointing over this generation and bring blessing as we've never seen before. Does anybody believe that with me? Come on church. We've seen this. You know, I, I've taken teams around the world. I'll never forget. I took a team to Bolivia, and there was a. In every one of our teams, we have teach them a couple of principles. First is all is to watch and pray. You know, in America, we like to close our eyes when we pray. You know, it's not scriptural. Scripture says watch and pray. And let me tell you why. Because there's someone out trying to destroy you. When you're in a, when you're in a foreign country, let me tell you, spiritual warfare is a real thing. Come on, it's real here in the states, but it's a real, real thing. Let me, You keep your eyes open because. Because somebody's coming to smack you, I'm telling you. Some people are not happy, you know, that you're serving Jesus there. You may keep your eyes open. But here's the second thing we teach students is to, is God will show you who and how to pray. I believe that with all of my heart. God will show you who to pray for. And he'll show you how to pray for. It. And so when we get preaching out in the, uh, in the barrios, and we begin to have an altar call, we have three altar calls. First one's for salvation. The second one's for healing. The third one's to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why? We're Pentecostal. Come on. Somebody needs to be filled with the Holy Spirit there. Somebody needs to be healed. Somebody needs to know Jesus. Yeah. And students, man, when we release them, man, it's a wonderful thing. Students come up forward, and here it is they're led by the Spirit. God's going to show you who to pray for and how to pray for them. They look for those people, and they go, and they begin to pray for them. There was one young lady. She was really, really struggling. She was just holding back, man. She just couldn't do it. You know, one of the things the Lord showed me is the more intelligent sometimes you are, come on. If you've got something up here, you know, you, you want to question everything. Everything's got to have a reason and a why behind it. You know what? And they following in faith and walking on its fast steps becomes very, very difficult. That was this young lady. She was a smart, smart young lady. And I said to her, I said, come on, get in there and pray. And she said, I will. If you tell me what the need is, I'll be glad to go and pray with them. But if I don't know what their need is, I don't know how to pray for them. I said, let the spirit show you. She said, I don't know how to do that. And I said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to wait on God and just watch. Let God show you who and how to pray. She struggled one night, two nights, three. She's struggling over this whole concept. I find her in the corner, and she's just sobbing her eyes out. And I went over, and I said, what's going on? She said, I want to. I want to serve God. She said, but I don't know how to do it. And I said, come here, sweetie. And I brought her up, and I said, I want you to stand here, and here's what I want you to do. Ask the Spirit, who do you got to pray for? And God's going to show you. And I said, and I want you to step out of faith and go and begin to pray for him. I said, you're not going to know what to pray, but the Spirit's going to show you, and you'll begin to take, and the Spirit will direct you in praying. I left her there and went back and continued running the service. Later on that that night, I saw her. She's down in the dirt, face down with her arms wrapped around a lady's legs. And she's just sobbing out. There's a mud puddle in the ground where she's been crying. She's got her arms wrapped around this lady's legs. And she's praying, God, heal her legs. God, heal her legs. God, heal her legs. Later on that night had a conversation with this lady and found out she had just left the doctor's office, and the doctor told her she had gangrene in her leg, and her leg needed to come off that day, or she was going to lose her life, and the lady looked at the doctor and said, not today, not today. She walked out of that doctor's office. She had no future. She had nothing. She didn't know where she was going to go, what was going to happen, but she happened to hear Of, of praise and worship, much like we experienced this morning. And you know what? It drew her. She came that morning. She she showed up. She showed up that morning in that service. And when there was an opportunity for healing, guess what? She said, That's for me. She came forward and got in that line. This one little, little young girl who'd struggled finding the, the heart and, and learning how to, to know who and how to pray. The Spirit of God moved on her life. And that day, that lady was healed. Later, that after, she took her skirt, and she moved it up, and we could see where there was a nasty, nasty wound. And there was pink flesh that was already beginning to cover it over. It's a miracle, my friends. The healing power of God blessing, anointing is passed generationally. It has happened before. It's going to happen again. It's happening in this generation. I would just want to share with you very quickly Psalm 145 and 4. Here's what we learn. Let each generation tell its children of your mighty acts. Come on church. You're doing that well. You're telling your kids about the mighty acts of God. Pastor Chris you're sharing it. You're sharing the mighty acts with this next generation. You're passing this generation this anointing on. But let me tell you there's a promise that comes in one in psalm 145 right after that and it says and let them proclaim his power this generation is going to proclaim the power of god church do you believe that The power of God is coming. It's coming in a double blessing. It's coming in a double portion. It's coming in what we are not going to recognize what God can do and see. You see, Susan and I, we're not going to go to the mission field alone. We're going to go with your prayers and financial support. We're going to believe God to do something incredible in the lives of students. Last of all is this. Let me tell you the end of this story. This young lady gets home, and her pastor calls me and said, What in the world did you do to this young lady? lady while you guys were away i said oh oh, what happened (laughs) what's going on she said sunday morning he said i was in the pulpit and and one of our elderly ladies uh she got a report this week that she was diagnosed with cancer and he said and i was in the pulpit and i acknowledged that and said sister we're going to be praying with you when this young lady stood up and she said pastor She said, I learned that when they're sick in the house, that we're supposed to get some oil. We're supposed to go and anoint them and pray the prayer of faith, and they're going to be healed. Pastor, don't you think we should pray for this lady? Pastor, would it be okay if I prayed for this lady? Let me tell you. The blessing, the anointing of God fell in that church that morning. They had some church. Let me tell you, there's an anointing that's falling in this place. There's a double blessing that God wants to pour out over this church. There's an anointing that's coming. It's not coming. It's here right now. Pastor, I want you to come and bring the word of God. Thank you for this privilege of being here. God bless
1: you. Wow. How many feel like you've already been fed? (laughs) Amen. Come on. Well, don't run to the restaurant yet. As Pastor Doug just shared, uh, that word just fits so in sync with what the heart of God is for our church in this season. We're beginning a series today called Double Blessing, and I want you to just prepare your heart. To, to receive from the Lord. In fact, I want you to do something. Will you just turn to the person next to you? Just say, God bless you. Would you just tell them that? Okay. Would you now turn to your second favorite partner and tell them, God bless you? Yeah, yeah, tell the person on the other side, God bless you. <laughs> Sorry for making that awkward for you. I just you, did, you picked them. You know, why is it that we can say, God bless you, and, and think nothing of it, you know, somebody sneezes, God bless you, doesn't matter if you know him or not, it's just a, a cultural courtesy. I watched the State of the Union address this last week like many of you did, and the president ended it the way most presidents do. God bless America. We ask for God's blessing on other people, and we do it almost uh, without a second thought. But why is it that then when we ask God to bless us, some of us pause? We hold, we hold back. Like, I don't know if I can do that. I mean, I'll ask God to bless others. I'll ask God to bless the food. But I don't know about asking God to bless me. Can I just begin this series for the next three weeks by telling you it is okay to ask for God's blessing? This side's with me. It really is. I mean, it really is. It's okay to ask for God's blessing. In fact, I would say to you today that... Blessing is a part of the plan of God for your life. That blessing is the kingdom agenda of God. Now, we're going to spend some time this year unpacking that word kingdom. I feel like it's a word that God has given us for this church. You saw it on the banner as you came through the lobby. But if you go back to the very genesis of the kingdom of God, what you're going to find is that it is a place of blessing Doug just mentioned a few moments ago, the the, the sin in the garden, and and Adam and Eve fell. But when you go back and you read that story in Genesis 1, about down in verse 26, it says the Lord blessed them, and he gave them dominion over the earth, and he gave them the authority to rule over the animals and, and over the earth. Did you know before there was original sin, there was original blessing. That's God's kingdom plan. When you get into Genesis 12 and you read about Abraham and and how he stepped out in faith and followed God, not knowing where he was going. The word of the Lord came to him. I I want you to see this one. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, the Lord said to Abraham, I will make you into a great nation and I will, could you say it with me, bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a... Blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I'll curse. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. I don't know if you caught the purpose in all of that, but what he was saying to Abraham is, I have blessed you to be a blessing. Now, come on, to be blessed by God, that's good. But to let the blessing of God position you to bless others, that's a double blessing. And it's a part of God's kingdom agenda for the church. We're not talking about blessing because we want more stuff. Come on. We're not talking about blessing because we just want more good experiences or or good feelings or, or, or warm, fuzzy doodads going up and down our back because we feel blessed. No, I'm talking about God pouring out his favor and anointing and abundance in your life so that he can use you to advance his kingdom. Blessing is a part of his purpose. He wants to bless you. And I'm gonna just give you one word of caution and we're gonna move right back to the good stuff. And I I give you a word of caution because I think for some of us, we push back from the blessing of God because it's almost a knee-jerk reaction because the reality is many of you have experienced the abuses of the blessing of God in the pulpits of America. You've heard messages of a, a prosperity gospel that you know everyone just is gonna have opulence and wealth and resources and I don't I don't know. When I when I read about the apostle Paul, I I tend to believe that not everybody that follows the the Lord is gonna be blessed with prosperity and comfort and pleasure. Jesus said in this world you will have trouble. I know you didn't put that on your refrigerator this week. It's it's not all that encouraging but it's in the book. You will have trouble. Paul said if anyone who wishes to serve God, they will face persecution. So we understand that that's a part of it. The word of caution for you is simply this. When we talk about the blessing of God, make sure that your pursuit is on the giver and not on the gift. That's why in worship earlier when we were telling the Lord, I just want you and nothing else. We sang those words that said, I'm not here for blessing. Jesus, you don't owe me anything. Why do we say that? Because we recognize that, that when we worship God, we're not coming to just sing and dance and shout and get his attention so that he'll put something in our hand. No, when we got up and came to the house of God this morning, we got up redeemed. We got up because his mercies are new every day. We got up because his grace is sufficient this morning. You got up and you came to church not because of what he can give you, but because of what he's given you. Come on, how many of you know if he doesn't give you another thing, you still got reason to worship? He's worthy. He's worthy of our praise. So that's why we come. But don't let the pendulum swing so far the other way that you would somehow be convinced by yourself or by the devil that God doesn't want to bless your life. He's good. And he wants to bless your life. It is okay to seek his blessing. The Bible says in Numbers chapter 6, don't turn there, I just want to mention this, it, it gives a, a blessing That God gave to Moses and said, I want you to teach this to the high priest. I want you to teach it so that the priest will bless the people. And that blessing said, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. So that was the blessing that the priest would speak over the people. The Lord's going to let his countenance be upon you, his goodness, his love, his kindness. He's going to bless you with his presence. Well, the psalmist picked up that prayer and I want to encourage you to pick it up as well. And he said, this is not just a blessing that somebody's going to speak over my life. This is going to be the vocabulary of my own worship to God. In Psalm chapter 67, The psalmist writes this in verse 1. It says, May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine on us. That's his prayer. But look at the next verse. There's a purpose for it. He says, So that your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all the nations. See, it's God's plan to bless you, but there's a purpose for the blessing. It's a double blessing. It's so that it doesn't just sit in your life as a reservoir, but that it flows through your life as a conduit. He says, I want your blessing, God, so that your ways would be known and that salvation would go among the nations. It's okay this morning to ask God for blessing. James 4.2 says, you have not because you ask not. And when you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives. So guard your heart today and get your motives aligned. But by all means, let's ask in faith today for God's blessing in our lives. I want to take the time that we have left and I want to show you a man in the Word of God that knew how to ask. He knew how to have great expectation and ask God for big things. If you have your Bible, turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Old Testament book, 2 Kings. If you don't have a Bible, I think it's good to just put your eyes on the page. We've got some in the book racks underneath, a seat near you. You can borrow one. We'll put these on the screen to help you out. Sometimes you're trying to find one of those books and you can't find it, so you just open it randomly anywhere and fake it. That's okay. It'll be on the screen. You know, you just be like, oh, yeah, I I got that. It's upside down. Just turn it. 2 Kings chapter number 2, <clears throat> we meet a man by the name of Elisha. Now, let me tell you, there, there's two men, their names are similar, so pay attention today. Elisha is the younger man, he's the protege of an older man, Elijah. Elijah is the prophet of God. As the prophet, he speaks on God's behalf to the people. They didn't have a leather-bound edition of God's Word. And so the office of the prophet in the Old Testament looked a little different than the gift of the prophet and prophecy in the New Testament. People understood that Elijah was God's spokesman. And the Word of the Lord says in verse 1, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Now, I'm going to skip down several places, but let me tell you what happened on this day. As Elisha was following the old prophet, he followed him from Gilgal to Bethel to Jericho and then to Jordan. And chapter 2 says that at every place that he followed him, there were prophets that would come out and they would say to him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take the prophet from you today? And Elisha would respond, Yes, I know. Be quiet. So God had revealed it to him as he had to them that Elijah is not long for this world. And so Elisha is pursuing him and he's following the prophet. And everywhere he goes, people say, God's going to take him. And he says, I know. And then they get to the edge of the Jordan. And all the 50 prophets are standing behind them and they're on the banks of the Jordan. The Bible says the old prophet Elijah took off his cloak and he rolled it up and he slapped the water and the waters parted. And Elijah and Elisha walked across the Jordan River on dry ground. Now, some of you thought only Moses did that. Red Sea, different story. Some of you thought only Joshua parted the Jordan River. Different story. Elijah did it too. Not for a whole nation to cross, just two guys. Could have probably got a boat, honestly. Just two guys. But I think he was kind of showing off, you know. He's the prophet of God. He smotes the water. It parts. He goes across on dry ground. Now let's pick up the story in verse 9. It says, "When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, "Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you?" Now lean into this next part, church. He said, "Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit." Just say double portion with me today. Double portion. Elisha replied, "You've asked a difficult thing. Elijah said yeah I I love that phrase you've asked a difficult thing God help us church if we get to heaven and it can't be said of you and I that we ever ask for a difficult thing see I, I think the size of the prayers you pray are in direct correlation to the size of the God you serve some of you are teaching your kids you serve a small God because you never have big prayer requests I challenge you to pray something that if God doesn't come through, you're going to look a fool. That's this size prayer. And Elijah looks at him and said, you ask a hard thing. Now, he didn't rebuke him. He didn't say it was a bad, he just acknowledged the fact that, man, I'm the prophet of God. I mean, God's done miracles through me. You go back a few pages and you can find Elijah stood up and called fire from heaven and he killed 400 false prophets. And Elisha says, I want twice that. So here's what he says to him. Yet if you see me when I am taken from you it will be yours otherwise it will not. So Elisha refused to let the prophet of God get out of his sight. He stuck with him, he pursued him, he stayed with him no matter what even though everybody else said, he's going to leave you. And even though at every stop on the journey, Elijah said, hey, why don't you stay here? I'm going to go to the next town. And Elisha said, nope, I'm coming with you. He stayed with him all the way. But I want to tell you today that it wasn't a commitment that was just for that day. See, if you just look at this moment in this story, you go, wow, man, he put in, he put in one day and, and he was really diligent. No, no, no. No, Elisha's commitment to follow Elijah goes back about 10 years. It goes way back before this. He made a commitment to follow Elijah. And the application for you and me is that we would make a commitment to follow Jesus. We talked about it last Sunday at our Football Sunday event. Which, by the way, 18 people last Sunday made a decision to follow Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Man, praise God. And for us, it's not just a one-time decision. If you were in that group last week and you said, I'm going to follow Jesus, guess what? Joshua said in Joshua 24, choose you this day whom you're going to serve. So every day of your life, you got to get up and make up your mind. I'm going to follow Jesus. It's not just a box that I check or a card that I fill out. It's a daily commitment. And for you and I, that's the application. Listen, double blessing comes on the heels of a person that doubles down on obedience. You, you gotta be committed. You gotta be all in. So there's three things here that I want you to grab a hold of that, that that positioned Elisha for the double blessing. And I believe it's gonna position you and I to receive what God has for us today. Number one, I wanna borrow the term that Doug used: reckless obedience. I love that phrase, reckless obedience. In the natural, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't add up, but it's just, it's an all-in moment. In fact, go back with me a couple pages, back to 1 Kings chapter 19. 1 Kings chapter 19, we're now 10 years earlier. 10 years before the story we just read. We're gonna see the moment of decision in the young man Elisha's life. This is his answer to the call. This is his stepping in to reckless obedience. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 19. So Elijah went from there and he found Elisha, the son of Shaphat. He was plowing his 12 yoke of oxen and he himself was driving the 12th pair. Elijah went up to him and he threw his cloak about him. He threw his cloak on him. Now listen, that's the same cloak that years later he would take off, roll up, and hit the water and part the Jordan River. He took that cloak off and he put it on the shoulders of the young man who was plowing behind his oxen. And when he did that, Elisha understood what that meant. The metaphor wasn't lost on him. He recognized that coat. It, it symbolized the anointing and the call and the mantle that was on Elijah's life. When he had that coat put on his shoulders, he recognized <clears throat> that the prophet of God was acknowledging God's call on Elisha, that he would be next. And look at what it says in verse 20. Elisha then left his oxen, and he ran after Elijah. Let me kiss my father and mother goodbye, he said, and then I will come with you. Go back, Elijah said to him. What have I done to you? In other words, uh, Elisha's just he's ready to go and follow him. He said, can I at least go say bye to mom and pop? And Elijah, Elijah says, what, what have I done to you? And I think that question might have been less for him to find out and more for Elisha to find out. In other words, I think Elijah was saying, do you understand the implications of this moment? Do you recognize how how weighty this is? I want you to think about it. What have I done to you? Look at verse 21. So Elisha left him and he went back. He took his yoke of oxen and he slaughtered them. He burned the plowing equipment to cook the meat, and he gave it to the people, and they ate. Then he set out, and he followed Elijah, and he became his servant. Let me just tell you a couple things that that we learn about this young man in this text. One, he's a pretty wealthy guy. I mean, he's got 12 teams of oxen. He's a pretty wealthy guy. Now I don't know if he inherited it or if he was a self-made man, but he's not at a place in his life where he's out of options. He's not at a place in his life where there's nothing, you know, nothing else going on, so maybe yeah, maybe I'll just give this internship a try. No, he's got a lot to leave and a lot to lose. The Bible tells us a few verses earlier that the place he lived was a town called Abel-Mahola. It means dancing meadows. So if you can imagine a fertile field on the Jordan River Valley that's got grain that's growing up high and just blowing back and forth in the wind. It's a productive and a fertile land. That's his territory. It's where he lives. And when Elijah (coughs) comes to him and offers him the opportunity to pursue the call on his life, none of that blessing kept him from answering the call. None of the blessing in his life kept him from answering the call. See, that, that's a reckless obedience. For for some of us, you know, the thing that's keeping us from obedience is the blessing of God. And, and we still waste our time asking for more. For some of you, the worst thing God could do is, is to, to give you more money. Because you'd stop praying. Worst thing he could do for some of you is to give you the miracle. Because you hadn't talked to him in years until you needed a miracle. Sometimes God will allow us to be in a place where we have to call out on him. But Elisha, he wasn't in that place. Life was good. Prosperity. He was doing well. And all of a sudden, God asked him to make a pivot in his journey. Just like he did with the Sayers family. He, he said, all right, it's, it's been going good for you. But I'm going to ask you if you'll do something you've never done before. That's reckless obedience. And what I love about this story is that Elisha doesn't just say, okay, we'll try that for a while. We'll see how this goes. I mean, if it doesn't work, we, you know, we've got, we've got our family. We've got our farm. No. No, it said he went back and it, he slaughtered the oxen and he used the plowing equipment to build the fire. He, he invites all the friends and he, he barbecues his plan B. Like, no more safety net. Like I'm going with God, and if, if God fails me, well, I couldn't succeed on my own anyway. It's all or nothing. And I'm telling you today, if you're going to receive a double blessing from the Lord, you got to make an all-in commitment. You can't hedge your bets. You can't stay back and say, well, God, I'll trust you as long as there's a safety net. No, i got to go all in with God. The second thing you need to know, and, and I felt the Lord say this to me as a word of caution for some of you. Don't despise the day of small beginnings. See, here's what we, we typically do. You know, we hear a story from missionaries and, man, God's done awesome things. And, or we read a story like this one and we think about the, the potential that Elisha would have. And we, we make these kind of resolutions. Well, if I was in your situation, I'd honor God too. Well, I mean, if I had a couple hundred thousand dollars, I'd tithe too. Wow, was that too personal? That got real quiet in here. How, how many of you know we do that, right? If I was in your situation, I'd honor God more. But how many of you know that's not how it works? Jesus said, if you're faithful with little, I'll make you ruler of much. So get it right here or you'll never get there. So what we want to do is we want to look at the story and say, if I was where he is, then I would do what he did. But don't despise the day of small beginnings. See, there's incredible power in a seed. If you think, think about just one seed. You look at a seed, I mean, it's, it's dormant. Not going to make much of a meal. It's not going to do very much for you, but when you have a seed, you realize that within that seed is an incredible amount of potential. Because inside that seed is a tree. And that tree will produce fruit. And that fruit will be full of seeds. And every one of those seeds has a tree in it. And every one of those trees have fruit in them. And every one of the fruits on that tree have more seeds in it. So you understand, there's incredible power in a seed. And if we're not careful, we can miss the goodness of God because we're looking for harvest when God is giving seed seed. Let me show you in the New Testament. The Apostle Paul said it like this, 2 Corinthians 9.10. He said, now he, talking about God, who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food, will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Now we read a verse like that, we say, amen, Lord, enlarge the harvest of my righteousness. That's, That's what I need. Lord, enlarge my harvest. But how does he enlarge the harvest? Look at it. He increases your seed. You want more harvest? He wants to give you more seed. When I first came to this church, almost seven years ago now, God gave us an incredible seed. A fertile seed in this church. But can I tell you, if, if, I had, if I had been seeking the Lord and the direction for our life, and I had had my eyes fixed on a harvest, if I had been saying, God, you enlarge my harvest, enlarge my harvest, I would have missed out on what God wanted to do. Because in the natural, this church was smaller than any church I had ever served on staff at before. Less people than, than any church I had been a part of. Way less staff, just one. <laughs> it was me, you know. <laughs> We had perfect unity in the staff meetings. That was the good thing about it. But in the natural, I would have looked at that and said, "Yeah, you Lord, I don't know if this is what you're doing. But thank God, by his grace, I didn't have my eyes on God just blessing me and giving me more. I had my eyes on the potential of a seed. And God confirmed his will and his word in our lives. And I wouldn't trade the last seven years for anything. Amen. God has just multiplied and multiplied and multiplied the seed. Look with me in 2 Kings again. I want you to see something about this prophet Elisha because I don't want you to miss the impact of small beginnings. We're back in 2 Kings, now chapter 3. Again, this is over 10 years after he took up the call to reckless obedience And Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, is is looking for a prophet. Now, Elijah has already gone up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elijah's gone, but the king needs a counselor. And so he asks his servants if there's any prophets around. Look at it with me in verse 11 of 2 Kings 3. It says, Jehoshaphat asked, Is there no prophet of the Lord here through whom we may inquire of the Lord? An officer of the king of Israel answered, Elisha, the son of Shaphat, is here. He used to pour water on the hands of Elijah. Now, I don't know what that says to you about this young up-and-coming prophet, but when I read that, I had to laugh a little bit. I thought, man, you, you talk about feeling insignificant. You talk about feeling overlooked. I mean, he's not a rookie anymore. He's been faithfully following the prophet of God for 10 years. He's being obeying the word of the Lord, going after the prophet Elijah. Now he's wearing his coat. And when the king says, does anybody know how to hear from God? One of the servants says, "Uh, yeah, yeah, there's this guy, Elisha. No, no, Elijah, he's gone. No, not Elijah, Elisha. S-H. That's a weird way to spell it. Who's Elisha? Oh, you know, he's the guy that used to water, he poured water on Elijah's hands. He thought he's the water boy. That's it. That's it. So it's easy for us to look at, you know, Elisha and go, man, if I could do what he could do. It probably felt like a demotion to him. He's probably thinking, I used to have 12 teams of oxen. I lived in the dancing meadow. I mean, I was, now I'm the water boy. But you know what? You can't despise the day of small beginnings. The Bible says in Zechariah chapter 4 and verse 6 the word of the Lord came to Zerubbabel saying, It is not by might nor by power, but it is by my spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. God was communicating something there through the prophet Zechariah. He was saying, I'm going to do a work, but it's not going to be done on your own strength. In fact, the work was to rebuild the temple that had been destroyed. And, and all the people were looking at the obstacles, and they were looking at, at Zerubbabel, and they are going, this guy's not going to pull this off. It's never going to happen. And so this word of the Lord comes to encourage him and to encourage us to say, look, the work that I'm doing, the blessing that I'm bringing, it's not going to be based on your talent or your ability or your resources. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's by the Spirit of the Lord. And then he goes on in the next verse, and the Lord says, what are you, mighty mountain?" Before Zerubbabel, you will become level ground. In other words, the the thing that seems impossible to do, God's saying, it's going to happen. I'm going to use him to do this work. Look at the rest of that verse. He says, then he will bring out the capstone to shouts of God bless it, God bless it. I don't know if you're keeping track, but that's a double blessing. That's two blessings. He says, this is going to happen. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged because it looks like not much work's getting done. Don't lose heart because it looks like you don't have the time or the resources to pull it off. God's going to do it in his strength and in his power. And down in verse 10 of that same chapter, the Lord says these words. He says, "Do do not despise the day of small beginnings. And I need to say that to someone here today. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. Little is much when God is in it. Reality is God's favor and God's blessing follows faithfulness. I mean, we love to talk about the miracles, but oftentimes the miracle is the result of of a a long obedience in the same direction. The miracle follows the mundane. It's Noah, as he mentioned earlier, it's Noah, you know, saving his family and the animals on the ark. That's miraculous. But the 120 years of building didn't feel so miraculous. Felt like work. Felt like a whole lot of effort and not a whole lot of results. And sometimes just staying faithful can feel futile. But can I encourage you today? Little is much when God is in it. His favor follows your faithful. That's why Psalm 23 says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. So I'm following him. He's my shepherd. And then you get down to the last verse in Psalm 23, and it says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me. Do you see the parade of blessing? I'm following the shepherd, and his favor is following me. Jesus said these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they'll cast out demons. In my name, they'll heal the sick. And wouldn't it be so much easier if the signs preceded them that believe? You know, if God would just like show up and just, you know, heal everybody's sickness. And then you could step in and say, I'd like to tell you about Jesus. He just changed your life. No, no. Sometimes we just walk by faith. But favor follows faithful. Let me give you the third thing today. Not only do you need to have a reckless obedience and Stay faithful, not despise the small things. Thirdly, you need to step in to what God is giving you. There comes a moment where this is not talk anymore. There comes a moment where we're not just sermonizing. We're not just doing church on the weekend. If this is going to have any application in your life, it's what Doug said earlier. God wasn't looking for an answer. He was looking for an action. It's where we go from saying yes and amen to actually stepping out in obedience. That moment for Elisha is in 2 Kings chapter 2. We looked at it earlier. I want you to see this moment again. Let's set the scene. Elisha's asking in verse 9, Can I get a double portion of the Spirit of God on your life? That's what I want, a double portion of the Spirit. And Elijah says to him, You've asked a difficult thing, and yet if you see me, When I am taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And then suddenly, a chariot and horses of fire come down from heaven. The Bible says it separates Elijah from Elisha, but I can promise you, Elisha's eyes are wide open. What's gonna happen? And the Bible says that the old prophet was taken up in a whirlwind up into heaven. And so Elisha's standing there on the far side of the Jordan all by himself, and he's looking up, and the prophet's gone. And then he sees something falling. It's fluttering. and He realizes that's the the cloak. That's the mantle that he put on my shoulders about 10 years ago. And it falls to the ground. And Elisha goes over and he picks up that mantle. This is the moment where our faith becomes action. Look at it with me in verse 14 he took the cloak that had fallen from Elijah and he struck the water with it. Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? He asked. And when he struck the water, it divided to the right and to the left and he crossed over. When Elijah did that miracle, it was the 14th miracle that we have recorded in scripture from the old prophet. He parted the waters and he went across. And just a few moments later, God doubled the blessing of that miracle and he allowed Elisha to do the same miracle. But can I tell you, it wasn't just the first of 14 miracles. It was the first of 28 miracles that we have recorded in scripture because he stepped in to the call and to the mantle and to the cloak that God had for him. He saw the fullness of the double blessing. I want to tell you today, God has something for you. It's going to look different in your life than it looks in Elisha's life. It's going to look different in your life than it looks in Doug and Susan Sayers' life and how it looks in mine. But if you're going to step into what God has for you, there is going to be a moment where you literally step in to what God has for you. I want to challenge you today to receive the mantle that God has for you. As we get ready to close this service, I want to ask our worship team to come back for a moment, to just facilitate a moment. I want to give you an opportunity to respond to what the Lord is saying to you. It begins with reckless obedience. Some of you, maybe you're here and I described your life when I said you're, you're hedging your bets. You're, you're trusting God so long as there's a safety net. You, you like the idea of depending on God so long as you have a plan B. But today the Lord is challenging you that you need to barbecue that plan B. You need to just go all in on the will of God and trust him. If there's an area of your life today where you need to surrender it to God, I want to challenge you right now in this moment. To make that decision. Make that decision. Say, God, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you this. I'm trusting you. You fill in the blank. I'm trusting you completely. For some of you today, I, I just feel that the Lord wants to encourage you. Don't quit. Listen, don't quit. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. The enemy would love to speak insignificance over your life. The enemy would love to just tell you that what you're doing doesn't matter. Your sacrifice isn't worth it. That's what Asaph said. Psalm 73. He said I envied the prosperity of the wicked. The lie of the enemy was it's not it's not worth it. Living for God's not worth it. Being holy, it's not worth it. The old lifestyle, the old patterns, the old choices, the things you used to do, not worth the sacrifice. doesn't matter anyway. There's power in the seed of your faithfulness. For some of you today, you just need to say, God, I'm, I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to be faithful. I'm going to continue to sow I'm going to continue to do the work e- even if people look at me and they think I, it's just a water boy insignificant I'm going to serve you faithfully God wants you to step into blessing because there's somebody on the other side of your blessing that needs you to step into blessing I said it earlier in this service I'll say it again and this is not an overreach. I believe I would have missed out on much of what God had for me in my life if this couple had not been faithful to walk in the anointing and the calling that God placed on their life. I could show you the spot on the carpet at the campground where I prayed with my best friend in middle school and. God baptized him with the Holy Spirit. I could take you to a spot about 10 feet behind that where one of the students at Valley Forge in an altar service at youth camp came and prayed over me. He said, What's your name? I said, Aaron. He said, Aaron, wow, he was the spokesperson for Moses. God wants to use you to speak to people. I said, No way. I mean, if you got to give a report or take the F, I'm failing that assignment. I'm tell- in, in middle school, I wouldn't I did not want to speak in front of anyone. But time and time again, God poured into my life. And there's somebody that God wants to pour into through you. But you got to come away from some things and you got to commit wholeheartedly to what God has for you. I want to ask you right now all over this room, can we stand?